Wednesday, March 5th, 1986, U.S. Army's Fort Sill, Lawton, Oklahoma. I'm on a bus with about 50 other young Americans who 24 hours before were civilians, back on the block, as we used to say. We were all still wearing our civilian clothes and sporting our civilian haircuts. A young black sergeant gets on the bus and says, I have an announcement for you single guys on the bus. Your girlfriend and your sweethearts have already cheated on you. In fact, Jody is hitting that eep right now. Welcome to the United States Army. Welcome to Light Fighters, the last foot soldiers of the Cold War. My name is Jason Dias. In the late 1980s, a group of young men who grew up without computers, cell phones, and social media will help end the Cold War. This is not based upon a true story. This is a true story. That is right, we did. We came from the cities and the smaller towns and the subdivisions all across the fruited plain. But before we could become light fighters, we had to prove we could be soldiers first. For me, that journey started as the aforementioned Fort Sill, Oklahoma, 35 years ago this year. And to this very day, Fort Sill is still the home of the U.S. Army Field Artillery, the best in the world. Zips in the open, steel rain, fire for effect. Okay, so here I am rolling up on this bus, about 50 some odd guys, and that same sergeant who had just told us, reassured all of us that Jody was taking care of our sweethearts and girlfriends back on the block, then made an announcement. He said, seriously, you are all now in the United States Army. Therefore, we have to offer you a meal. You don't have to eat it. You can stay on the bus or you can go inside the dining facility and have a meal. It was, it was late in the evening. It was after 7 o'clock. It was getting dark. It's March. And I figure, you know, why not? It's not like I'm going to sit on the bus in 1986, you know, scrolling through things on my smartphone. So I figured let's go inside. But there's something that he said that I found kind of comical at the time. It's when he referred to it as the dining facility. I came from an Air Force family. And I've got to be honest, the, the, the playful way that the Air Force and the Army go back and forth with each other, that inter-service rivalry, I had a lot of preconceived notions about the United States Army. Like many of you, my entire understanding of what life in the Army was going to be like was based upon shows like MASH and movies like Stripes. And, and Private Benjamin, I almost said Saving Private Benjamin, Private Benjamin, the Goldie Hawn movie. Well, so when he says dining facility, I'm thinking, what is this guy? Doesn't he mean the mess hall? You know, my dad, even as an Air Force guy, used to sing this song on road trips. You know, the biscuits in the Army, they say they're mighty fine. One rolled off the table and killed a friend of mine. And so I had this preconceived notion. Well, as I walk into the dining facility, it starts a trend that will continue throughout my entire time in the Army. Now, 
For those of you in the cohort battalion, a lot of y'all are still in high school in March of 1986. And I don't know what the dining facilities were like for y'all at Fort Benning. I did go to Fort Benning in November later of this year in 1986 to Fort Benning for Light Leaders course. But right now I'm at Fort Sill. And the only thing I can think of as I walk into this dining facility is how incredibly nice it is. I walk up to the, the counter, you know, it's cafeteria style. Um, I don't know why, it's just an observation. Virtually everybody working behind the kitchen was black. They were wearing the, uh, the whites that the chefs and the cooks wore with the gold rank. It's a, an older gentleman, a sergeant, I think he was in E6. And I walk up and says, well, what are you gonna have? And I said, what, what do you have? And he goes, well, right now we've got this great fried catfish. Well, I had grown up in the South, but my parents were from Massachusetts and Rhode Island. You know, when I had fish and chips, it was cod and stuff like that. I had never had catfish in my life. And he says, oh, you can get, you know, burgers and fries. So we're making those on the grass. I said, why not try something new? He puts two massive catfish fillets on one of those oval white plates. You can still see the little tail fin at the end. And then it's just, you know, steaming vegetables and mashed potatoes and rolls and jello and dessert. I remember getting to the milk station. Remember you lift up that metal handle and the milk would come out? It was ice cold. And I sat down and I'm eating this meal thinking, this is not what I was expecting. Having watched MASH and Stripes and hearing about how bad army food was going to be, it was great. My best friends had taken me to Red Lobster the night before by way of sending me off to basic training. And I remember having the conscious thought, the, the fish I'm having here tonight at Fort Sill is actually better than the meal I you know, got last night at Red Lobster. Anyway, that's the trend that starts for me the first night in the Army. My expectations are being exceeded. Well, I don't know about you guys at Fort Benning, but it's a Wednesday, and we had about um, Thursday and Friday, it was all paperwork. You know, we were at the reception station when nobody was screaming at us. We weren't being made to do push-ups all the time. It was, I was actually very surprised at how nice everything and everybody was, and it was a lot of hurry up and wait. I remember I was number 50. There were 100 guys ultimately in my reception station group, and I was number 50, which was pretty cool because a lot of times they would say, one through 49, go to dental, 50 through 100, go to accounting. So many, many times at Fort Sill, I was the first person in line, and then I would have the time to kind of stand around and, and get to know people. Those of you at Fort Benning can probably attest to this. You're asked two questions right away. You know, where are you from, and what did you do? You know, what were you doing before you joined the Army, or why did you join the Army? This kind of thing. It, it's going to be hard for young people that might be listening to this podcast today, 35 years later, to understand just the absence of technology in 1986. No computers. There are people typing. The people that work in the in-processing, it is all paperwork. I have a big white envelope that I've had with me since the MEP station, and at every spot, I'm getting more paperwork added to it. I've got my social security number written in black Sharpie and big numbers on the outside of the envelope. And of course, it's just, you know, get the haircut, which we had to pay for. I don't know about y'all at Fort Benning. We got $60 cash when I arrived at Fort Sill, which means I had about 
$65 to my name in 1986 once I got that $60. And you had to pay for your haircut. And this is the other thing that surprised me. You had to pay for your tennis shoes. Everyone had to wear the same running shoes. And so there were these New Balance running shoes. And so that's what we used for PT. And so, like I said, it was it was two solid days. You know, we do more before 9 o'clock than most people do all day. I can remember being like, wow, it's been such a long day already, and looking down at my watch, and it wasn't even 10 o'clock in the morning. And so those all of you experienced this, you know, this whirlwind of activity. Uh, a lot of the guys that I'm getting to know, I'm not even going to go on to basic training with. The majority of these guys are going to the field artillery basic training, and myself and people with different MOSs are going someplace else. Now, at the reception station, it was the long days like you saw in Full Metal Jacket, every war movie you've seen since World War II. And then what I didn't know is when we finally got to the actual basic training, the billeting would be a little different. Well, I've got to tell you real quick, the first day, you know, we rolled out for a reception station, like an idiot, I was the only one wearing sweatpants. Everybody else was wearing blue jeans, and I found out right away that the worst thing you can do in the Army is draw attention to yourself. And that same, I don't know if this was done on purpose, that same little uh, black sergeant who had come on the bus, he kind of guided us through the whole process. He probably was like 5'4", real small, wiry guy. And when he saw me there in sweatpants, he called me up to the front and started yelling at me, who do you think you are, the karate kid? And I kind of looked like the karate kid in those days. And so that was just one of my early memories of basic training. Well, after two solid days of just nothing but, you know, go to this station, go to this station, orientation, accounting, GI Bill, medical, dental, you name it. The last person we met with was the chaplain. It was on a Monday morning. We had stayed in the barracks over the weekend, been marched to meals, done police calls, done all these things. Well, right before we went over to the actual basic training site, the chaplain met with us, and he told me two things that I will never, ever forget. He said, if you stay in the Army, you're going to see people again. Basically, he was saying, don't screw your buddy over. All right, you're going to see that person again if you stay in the Army. And then his other piece of advice, which I'll never forget, was he said, keep your sense of humor. Then we were loaded into what we referred to as the cattle cars, these big silver, I don't know what you call them. They slid the door shut. When those doors opened again, that's when all of the you-know-what hit the fan, the yelling and the screaming and the insults and, you know, get down and give me 10 push-ups, all of this stuff. It was just dizzying, and it went on for a while. And then we were finally separated into, I guess, platoons. It was not called a company. It was called a battery. And, and we were shown to where we'd be staying. Now, I was very surprised because the billets were like little dorm rooms. I think it was three or four guys to a room. We had a little bathroom. And so, it was, again, it was already nicer than anything I was going – that I had expected uh, going into basic training. Um, I was assigned a battle buddy. Uh, I'm going to just say his first name because I've got kind of an unflattering story to tell you about him. His name was Keith. He was from Dallas. Uh, he called me Taco, and no, I didn't go tell anybody about it, just what he called me, and it was no big deal. Um, he didn't know that I was from, uh, you know, up, 
upper middle class home, a country club lifestyle down in San Antonio, no big deal. He called me Taka. I wasn't crazy about it, but it was better than being called the karate kid like everyone else was calling me. Well, anyway, long story short, he and I are battle buddies. Along the way, for whatever reason, I found a postcard that I sent my grandmother when I was at basic training, and it says in the postcard, Army Life, what does it say? Army Life agrees with me. The food is great. It's not like anything you've seen on TV. And I was getting good at it, and I was made the squad leader. We had three squad leaders in my platoon, and I was selected as one of them by one of the drill sergeants, Drill Sergeant Billups. And I was very proud of that. I mean, I'm an E1. I've got nothing on my uniform, and now I get to wear this red, I don't even know what you call it. It's like a red shoulder patch that you wear, I think, on your left shoulder. It's got some little fake, you know, sergeant bars on it. And so I was very proud of that. Well, my battle buddy, Keith, came into the Army as a stone-cold alcoholic. And during basic training, he goes AWOL, goes into Lawton, he puts on his PT sweats, his brown t-shirt, and his tennis shoes, and goes downtown bar hopping. No, that's not going to attract any attention in Lawton, Oklahoma. Of course he's picked up, he's brought back. Well, I find out about it the next morning. Drill Sergeant Billups calls me and says, you know, your battle buddy went AWOL last night. I said, I didn't know that. I was asleep. And he goes, well, he did, and you didn't stop him, so you can leave those on my desk. And he pointed to my squad leader uh, shoulder patch, and so that was it. My tenure as squad leader ended, and I was so disappointed. But it made a big impression on me that it wasn't just me that I had to be worried about in the Army. It, had, it was everybody around me, especially my battle buddy, and that's something that I would take with me throughout my entire time in the Army. Well, a couple of other things I want to tell you about Fort Sill, the things that I really remember, uh, one particular day, I think it was still in March, I was at Fort Sill from March 5th till May 10th of 1986. I think it was still in March. And if you've ever been to Fort Sill, you can probably back me up on this. On one March day, we woke up for PT, 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 everything started and ended with PT. Woke up for PT, and it was freezing cold. There was snow on the ground. By lunchtime, they actually had to suspend training because they were so worried about tornadoes. The weather had just turned incredibly dangerous. This is Oklahoma. After lunch, it was raining so hard that I thought the entire fort was going to float away. And then by dinner time, I'm not exaggerating, it had to be 90 degrees outside. I had seen all four seasons of the year compressed into one day. That's just one of the things that I remember about Fort Sill. Other things I remember uh, that aren't so pleasant, uh, we did have one of the soldiers in our battery commit suicide while we were while we were there. That was very upsetting. Uh, and of course, they took us aside. Hey, if you're having problems with this, there's somebody you can talk to. Um, very, very, very sad business. I did not know him very well. He was in a different platoon. You know, you couldn't know everybody. There wasn't a lot of time to stand around talking anyway. But I do remember that. The other thing that I remember very well is, of course, basic rifle marksmanship. It was a big, big deal learning how to shoot the M16. It was really cool to get to shoot when having seen them on TV 
all those years. And, and I was very proud of the fact that I, I scored the highest, what was it, expert on your final, on your final, whatever you call it, when you're qualifying at the end of basic training. And they had different drill sergeants watching and keeping score. Now, for whatever reason, and this is true all the way until my time in Desert Storm, I loved the M16A1 with the flat, you know, bottom to hold. And for whatever reason, when I placed the brim of my steel pot on the rear sight post, what the handle was, I just felt like it was connected to me. And I just, I just shot it beautifully well. On the final day of qualification, it's a different drill sergeant from a different platoon. He's keeping score, a Puerto Rican drill sergeant. He's keeping score. Well, the 300-meter target comes up, which a lot of people don't hit. If There are no optics, by the way. If you're listening to this and you've been in the military in the past few years, this is all iron sights. There are no optics whatsoever on any of these M16s. Well, the 300-meter comes up, which is tiny, which is tiny, without optics, and I shoot and I see it go down. Well, his name was Sergeant Longoria, Drill Sergeant Longoria. He gets so excited, he hits me on the head like, way to go. Well, because I've rested my head on that post, my, my head goes jamming into the handle, and it cuts the bridge of my nose, and blood starts running down into my right eye. I can't see anything. The next target that pops up, I think it might have been the 50-meter target, the one that everybody hits, and I shoot and I miss. And he's like, what's wrong with you, Private? You just hit the 300-meter, and you can't hit the 50-meter. And I turn around and say, when you hit me in the head, my head smashed into the rifle, and he sees my nose and eye. He thinks my eyes bleeding and it was just so interesting he totally comes out of character as the drill sergeant and is very apologetic he's like hold on hold on here stop 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 he you know gets a little rag or something and dries the blood he apologizes which is something drill sergeants don't typically do to privates and I'm like hey everything's okay he says I'm not going to discount that 50 meter I know you would have hit it and I end up like I said getting little expert thing that I am honored to wear to my next stop which is going to be at Fort Sam Houston going back to my hometown in San Antonio Texas the other things I I remember about basic training in the spring of 1986. Two big things happened while I was in basic training. America bombed Libya to get back at them for some terrorist attacks. These darn Libyans, right? Uh, the same people that caused all those problems in Back to the Future. Uh, so we bombed Libya. That's obviously a big deal. And then I remember the Chernobyl accident occurred in Russia during basic training. And it was just more of this instinct that I had that we were getting better than the Russians, that the Russians weren't something to fear anymore. There was one thing that we were going to do at Fort Sill at the auditorium. There was a Russian defector that was going to talk to all of us. And unfortunately, I had KP that day, and I didn't get to see that. And I was kind of disappointed because I really wanted to see that. But, you know, you kind of had to rotate through and do your KP. And so um, basic training for me, it, it was the start of my realizing that this experience in the Army, even though it didn't seem like anybody else in the world cared, because like I said on last episode, People just don't respect the military in 1986 the way they do now. Nobody walked up to us in 1986 through 1989 and thank you for your service and man, it's so great, you know, stand up for heroes. None of that. It is all about yourself and the guys around you. And I think that's one of the reasons the guys, when we get to Ford Ord and the cohort at the time, I think that's one of the reasons we all were so 
tight and became such good friends. But it all started for me at Fort Sill. I began to realize that this this army that I've seen lampooned in film and on TV, it's turned a corner. It's getting better, and I'm witnessing it each and every day. Well, I do get, I do go off to Fort Sam Houston next. No big deal. Not even going to do an episode on that, but it's there where I earn the right to be called the greatest eternal nicknames in the history of the Army, Doc. Well, on the next episode, I'm going to tell you about my epic road trip from San Antonio, Texas to Fort Ord, California, the setting for this story, Fort Ord, the planet, the place where I met the finest young men I ever knew. And so I'm going to talk to you about this amazing cross-country journey in a 1973 Toyota Celica that barely makes it to the mall every time I go. And I'm going to try to take it 1,600 miles cross-country through the Sonoran Desert in August without a spare tire, without seat belts, and without air conditioning. And it's going to end at the planet Ford Ord, where I met all of you great guys, the light fighters, the last foot soldiers of the Cold War. So until next episode, no slack, cold steel, bushmasters, night fighters, boar, brother, boar.